This is Transistor.fm. Dan Martell is a Canadian product guy and an entrepreneur from Moncton, New Brunswick. You might recognize his former product, Flowtown, and his current one, Clarity. What you might not know is that Dan has a crazy past. In this episode, Dan shares his story from the beginning and how he overcame that difficult start to build his own products. Stay tuned. First, I want to tell you about some great sponsors. Sprintly has been with us since the beginning. Their web app is the best way to manage the software development process. This is what I use myself. I use it every day, and it's agile project management that works. No other way to say it. You and your team can try Sprintly for free by going to www.sprint.ly. And I'm writing a book called Build and Launch. It's a book about building and launching your own stuff. You can go to buildandlaunch.net, sign up for the mailing list, and follow along with my progress. I'll be sending a sample chapter soon. Hey, I'm Justin, and this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. And today on the show, I have a Canadian who's been to Silicon Valley and back again, Dan Martell from Clarity.fm. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Justin. Well, thanks for being here. Um, Dan, I want, I want to get into your backstory, but let's start by quickly describing uh, your product, your current product. What, what is Clarity.fm? Yeah, so it's just Clarity. We can, I mean, sucks that it's a .fm, but, you know, domain, I've been fighting with the domain people for a while. Um, Clarity is the easiest way to get uh, expert advice, um, to find, schedule, and pay for expert advice over the phone to grow your business. So we launched a little over a year ago. We've got 13,000 experts in 2,000 different categories, um, guys that'll help you figure out how to start your business, how to grow your business, how to raise capital, how to get acquired to uh, how to manage your team. I mean, those are some of the big uh, clusters of things that people use Clarity for, but I mean, we have guys on there that are obscure as um, data scientists to um, email analytics. I mean, it's pretty pretty broad, the, uh, the experts we have, but uh, everybody's been recruited, vetted, and uh, we've done tens of thousands of calls across 56 different countries now. So cool. it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, great. And we're going to get into um, how you built Clarity and and um, some other things that our listeners can take away a bit later. But I'd like to start uh, with your story. So I mentioned that you're Canadian. Where did you grow up? And have you always been into computers? Have you always been building things? What's kind of the, the story behind Dan Martell? So obviously, I don't want to bore your readers. I mean, the first thing I guess is, you know, today, you know, I've been, this is my fifth company. Uh, my first two were complete failures. Kind of figured out when I was 24, built a company of 30 employees and got acquired four years later. Um, that's financially when I kind of, you know, made some money and realized that um, if I did something after that, it would be a pure kind of passion thing for me. Uh, I then went on to build Flowtown, which was a social marketing company, uh, raised venture funding. Well, I moved to San Francisco after my company Spheric, and then um, Flowtown got, you know, built the product, bootstrapped it, got it to profitability, ended up raising 750000 from guys like David McClure, Mitch Capehorn, invented Lotus Notes, um, and you know Travis Kalanick, founder of Uber, just a bunch of great angels. And mm-hmm. uh, two years later, 
We grew that to 50,000 small businesses as customers and then got acquired by Demand Force, um, which then got acquired by Intuit for 500 million. So that was kind of awesome. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then a few months after uh, they acquired us, I essentially walked away from my earnout um, to go work on this crazy idea that's called Clarity. Um, early days, Clarity was not what I just described it, and we can get into that. But mm-hmm. um, my background is, you know, I grew up in Moncton, New Brunswick. It was a town of about 80,000 people in the middle of nowhere. So the middle of nowhere is to the right. If you know where Bangor, Maine is, or Maine is a state, you go up and to the right in Canada, into a province called New Brunswick. Um, so that's yeah. where I grew up. Um, I've got a crazy back background, you know, as a, as a kid. Um, I actually got in a lot of trouble. I mean, I come from a home. My mom's an alcoholic. My dad was in sales, always on the road. Um, had a lot of time on my hands. I actually... Uh, it's funny. I, I grew up in kind of the, in kind of like farming area. I don't know, rural. I don't even know what you'd call it, but in the woods. That's yeah. Those jokes. I grew up in the woods. Anyway, yeah. I built tree forts, you know? So when I was like eight and nine, I, I go in the woods, find a spot and then try to convince the neighborhood kids to help me. And, and the ones that didn't, I would charge them, you know, to come play in it. And so I always joked that I, I got into real estate at a young age. Um, uh, you're building teams and, and uh, building yeah. products way back then. I didn't even realize it until later on when I was like, what did I do as a kid? But, you know, unfortunately, like my upbringing, you know, ended up that when I was 11, I got removed from my house. I spent, you know, four or five years in foster care and crisis centers and group homes. I mean, you named the government program. I, I went through it um, and it was challenging when I was when I was 13. Uh, you know, that was the year I finally got, you know allowed to be returned home. And it was also the year that my parents got divorced, which, you know, any kid that's been through that, you know, I thought it was my fault. Obviously I learned later in life that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the, it was the year that I actually, you know, got turned on to drugs. And uh, over the next three years, I was pretty much spending way less time at school and a lot more time with guys twice my age. Um, you know, I guess the, the, I don't know what it is. Like I've always been into building and creating and selling stuff. So, you know, I took to selling drugs and, you know, next thing I knew I was, I got arrested. I ended up spending two months in jail at 16. Um, and then after that sentencing, I promised I would, you know, change my friends, do all that stuff. And, you know, 11 months after getting out, I ended up, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy now that I think about it. It's like I'm telling you a movie, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I got, uh, I got in a high speed chase, uh, with cops and, it was just all messed up and I thought for sure I'm not going back to jail and I had a gun with me and you know there was a point where I tried to pull it out of the bag because you know I ran into a house and all of a sudden I got stuck and it was at 17 at that point where you know I'm getting dragged out of this car realizing that I wasn't supposed to live that I don't know I just decided that uh, I'm going to do something with my life so six months after that yeah, I got sentenced a year and a half in jail. I spent six months. Uh, my sentence finally got released to rehab. Did 11 months in rehab, and that's where I learned um, not only, you know, who I was as a person and, and kind of what I wanted to get out of life, but also I discovered computers. And, you know, I credit this place, Portage, New Brunswick, the rehab center, you know, to obviously saving my life, but to computers as well because, you know, I, was, I learned how to build stuff that wasn't illegal. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the stuff you learn selling drugs translates to business acumen. So, oh. <laughs> um, so far, so good. Oh man, so that's that's my that's I mean that's my crazy. You know, it is. People are like, wow, that's nuts. 
you know, but to me, the way I look at it is, you know, it's not what I did, it's how I felt. And I think that a lot of, you know, teenagers or young kids, um, they go through stuff, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's how you deal with that that matters. And I've been fortunate. I just had some really great people that showed up at the right time in my life to kind of teach me, you know, to go right instead of left. And it turned out to be a good decision. So <laughs> that's, that's why I do what I do. That's why I built Clarity. I mean, Clarity's foundation was getting advice from people who have been there before is the lesson I learned when I was 17 because what was unique about the rehab center I went to was that every staff member was an ex-drug addict that had been clean and we're now working at this this facility. Yeah, that was significant to be talking to someone that could actually understand your situation. You've got to imagine, like, have you ever met those 16, 17-year-olds not nose, like, baggy jeans, like... You know those kids. Right? Oh, yeah. Just like, yeah. They, that was me, right? So it wasn't the first time I went to or, you know, a 21-day program or you know, to see somebody talk about my problems. But yeah. It was the first time that that person I was talking to actually truly understood what I went through. I mean, when a guy comes up to you that spent you know, 17 years in jail for, for, for getting caught selling heroin in Mexico, tells you, hey, Dan, you, you should really take a second and think about what you're doing right now, you kind of listen. Yeah. And so that's that, what I, that's what I needed. And so that was the, was that the, the, the significant part about Portage is the, is the fact that they had people that had been there, had done that and could say, listen, if you don't clean yourself up, this is where you're headed. Exactly. And they could talk with authority. I mean, that, that to me is the lesson I didn't realize till honestly, two weeks before I started Clarity and I kind of started messing around with the idea. It's something I learned that is, resulted in all any success I've had in business was because of the lesson I learned at 17 that you should only get advice from people who've been there before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, it was, it was funny that it took me 15 years to finally figure it out that that was like this guiding principle, but I'm glad, you know, that's why I feel like clarity is, is essentially what I, sh- what I was meant to do with my life. It's my life's purpose. It's an extension of who I am and the way I think and, and, and the problems that I want to solve. Yeah. And so you were, you were 17 or 18 when you got out of rehab? Exactly, yeah. And so what did you do at that point? You said you got into well, computers. What, what yeah, happened? So I, like, I learned, yeah, so I mean, the, the beauty is after 11 months of rehab, because, you know, it took me that long. Most people do it in six months, but I was a bit hard-headed. Um, <laughs> I mean, I rebuilt my relationship with my family, my brothers, my friends, the good ones anyways. Um, I went back to high school. Uh, I learned to write code in this facility. They, they, they had a programming on Java, a book on Java. I didn't even have a computer. I would just read it. And I was just fascinated by the programming language and the math. And I studied a book without ever writing code. It was the <laughs> weirdest thing, but it was just the way my brain, I liked math. I liked problem solving. And it just it was kind of like interesting to me, even if I couldn't actually execute the code, I could understand. And I was like, wow, if I could actually do this, this would be interesting because there's all these things that I would want to do and and it just turned out there's this thing called the internet that was you know that was picking up steam and yeah um it's kind of a big deal so i got lucky i mean really when i came out went to high school graduated with honors rebuilt the relationship with my family and studied computers went to chapters you know in canada but you know whatever indigo in the states or whatever books and spent three grand on books and just studied i mean i spent a year nights and weekends just building and trying and fooling around with programming languages. And that's, you know, that's when I started my first company, Maritime Vacation. Uh, there was a complete failure, but a lot of fun. And I did a hosting company. 
uh, which I always tell people the lesson I learned there was don't start a hosting company. <laughs> like the dumbest business to get into unless you're Amazon Web Services. Like yeah. you're working 24 seven for, you know, it's like selling gold. Like how much profit are you going to make off selling gold? It's, yeah. You got to do it. At, you know. um, Although yeah, uh, I mean, those guys yeah, at WP yeah. Engine are, are uh, it seems like if you've got the right niche sometimes and the right level of service, maybe you can still make some money there. Exactly. I think that's that's the lesson I learned is you've got to be differentiated and you've got to go after a growth market and WP Engine and a lot of the Ruby guys in the early days, they all they all figured it out. I yeah. That's smart. And so how how old were you? Because that must have taken a while to go back to school, to rebuild your personal life. How old were you when you said, okay, I'm going to go to Chapters, the bookstore, and, and pick up a bunch of books on programming? I was 19. I mean, what happened was is I, I read the books on programming when I was away, and then I got out. I went to high school. I was fortunate enough that high school had a computer programming class. I did one year, so I did two classes right each semester. Mm-hmm. And during while I was doing that, my dad, um, you know, s- saw how excited I was about it, and he was just pumped that it was something that wasn't illegal. So he's like, "Whatever you need, like whatever. <laughs> what do you what do you need? A computer? Do you need books?" and I was like, yeah, I, you know, I heard about this thing called Cold Fusion. I'd like to read books or HTML or JavaScript. And, you know, we'd go every week and I'd, I'd buy books and I would just stay home and, you know, read them, implement them. And then, you know, the vacation site was him going, hey, Dan, there's this thing, you know, I want to build a web page for my cottage. Do you think you could build it? And my first question back to him was, how many people do you think own cottages that would want a web page? <laughs> and he's like, well, there's probably a couple hundred around us. And I was like, yeah, I can build you the website, but it's going to cost you a hundred bucks a month for hosting. Cause I was trying to figure out how much I would need to spend to get everybody else, but make my dad pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture. Yeah. How, how important do you think that is? Cause I, I've had similar experiences when I was a kid. Like I, I, I sometimes joke that, you know, my, my first customer was my dad. Uh, how important do you think that is for young entrepreneurs to have someone like, in their family or someone they know kind of take a chance and, and become their first customer? I, well, I think it's important to have, you know, I think what, what I, what my dad did indirectly by there is he, he, my dad had always, you know, he had a cottage he rented, right? So he was indirectly kind of an entrepreneur. He, he worked at a full-time job and, you know, whatever you want to define lifestyle entrepreneur, whatever, but yeah. he was that person that, you know, he had a cottage, he had a fish and chip wagon, like this place that served fries and fish. And, you know, he built that uh, on the side. I mean, he he was, at, at the very beginning, he was somebody that I could look up to, right? That's, you know, get advice from people who've been there before. So when he mm-hmm. said, hey, this is really interesting, and I would want it, I'll pay you, um, you know, I listened. So, I mean, I think it's important to have somebody in your family or around you that is an entrepreneur that can give you that support. Because, what happens is you don't have it yourself because you have no reference point to believe it, right? Like, yeah. I don't care who you are when you're a kid, you need to see at least one example of it to be able to believe that you could even do it, right? Yeah. My uncle was in was a businessman, my mom's brother. Uh, turns out years later that he was actually in the mafia, but, you know, <laughs> at the time I thought, yeah. oh, he sells he sells rollerblades. Like he has a thousand <laughs> pairs of rollerblades in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> they were that not should, his rollerblades. Put it that way. That should have been your first indication. A guy that sells rollerblades in his basement. <laughs> you, just, you don't know. I was like, yeah. why does my uncle have all this stuff? Like, you just oh. have stuff 
It wasn't his. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay, so so your first business was kind of doing this these these uh, these cottage websites, and yep. uh, and where where'd you go from there? Well, so the funny story with the cottage website is when my dad told me that I was like thinking to myself like how do I get in front of all these cottage owners? And mm-hmm. I was just talking out loud to one of my friends, and he goes, "Oh, there's actually this book that they sell at the tourism, or they don't even sell; it, they give it away, called the uh, you know the Tourism Guide Canada Select whatever." Yeah. It has a list of every cottage and bed and breakfast with their address in the area. Yeah. So what I did as a developer is I built this mail merge program that essentially, you know, access database paid my little brother to load in all the addresses into the database like a fucking <laughs> hour, and uh, and then created the the letters, these mail out forms that said, hey, if you you might have heard of this internet, if you want one for your 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 property, you know, send us a check for thirty five dollars and three pictures. And if you want the pictures back, you know, add $5 to the check and we'll mail them back to you. And I just sent out like 200 and some, right. Yeah. And it was like five or six days later, my dad came home and got the mail. It was like, Dan, you have, you know, who gets the mail at like, you know, seven, 18 years old. He's like, you get the mail. And I was like, holy shit, it worked. And yeah. I opened up these envelopes in front of my dad. He's like, what did you do? And I was like, well, no, 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 this is legit. So he was pissed because he knew that he was paying for the hosting, but I was charging everybody else. To, to use the service. But I mean, that was when I made my first dollar. And I think that was the biggest lesson, you know, I tell people is like, as, as soon as you possibly can make, make money, right? I think it's really, I think if you can get anybody to show up to your product or website or service, that's not mm-hmm. your cousin, not your friend, you know, doesn't know you whatsoever and give you a dollar, you have gone pro on the internet. Yeah. A lot of people don't ever make $1. It's tough. It's a yeah. lot to ask somebody about a credit card. It's not as yeah. easy as people think it is. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Because there's a lot of people that want to, like, this is our audience. Our audience is made why up of... Why do they not ask for the money? Yeah. I'll tell you exactly why. They're scared to find out that their product sucks. Mm. They're scared that nobody's going to want it. Yeah. It's easy to make it free because there's no cost to the person to enter an email and a password. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So... You, you had this first experience with getting people to send you money in the mail. And what did that, I mean, that must have been, so that must have, you must have known there was something there like that you could it make money like doing this. The epiphany, here was the epiphany even more than that, is I created something that had a URL. Like people don't realize how special this is. I created something that I could share with anybody in the world and they knew what I was working on. Think about that. Most people that go to work every day never, ever, ever show actually what they do at work to their family. That's right. Isn't that I'm a- interesting? And we take it for granted in people in the tech or product or web space. But I remember it was it like hit me on the side of the head. I was like, wow, there's this URL that if I send to somebody an email or I tell somebody and they go on the internet, they can actually see what I've been spending the last you know, 100 hours a week on. Yeah. That's cool. All over the world. Yeah. Isn't that neat? It is it's it is you're right too. Like if you're if you're a pipe fitter, you never <laughs> you can't never. really sh- you can't really show that to anybody. Yeah, you could be an engineer, you work on these really great plans. You never really show your family what you do or the work product or anything. You know, my dad worked at a at a company managing, you know, guys that fix big electric motors and like you never you know, unless I went to his shop and like looked and talked to people, like I never really knew what my dad did. Yeah. I just thought it was really neat that 
you know, there was this thing called the internet. And I guess I just got hooked to that. I got hooked. I got hooked on the idea that I could create things and share it with anybody I want. And there was no, there was nothing stopping me from doing that. Yeah. With me. That was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you do after that? Like you, you, you've had this initial success. Did you kind of realize that? Well, in terms of making you're successful because you've already made a dollar from people you don't know. Fair enough. Um, so, what I do, I just, I kept building stuff. I mean, the next, I built this, this, this desktop app in Visual Basic that, because I was pissed off that my friends would always come to my computer because I was the only friend with a CD burner and like sit there and build their mixtapes and I couldn't use the computer when they were sitting there trying to figure out what songs they wanted to put on. So I built this <laughs> app that would synchronize all the MP3s I downloaded off the internet to an FTP server and then they could download the updated list and they could build essentially their mixtape on their computer and when they were ready they'd hit you know burn and it would I would charge them 20 bucks for it and then it would come to my computer <laughs> set up the CD at night burn the CDs while I was sleeping and that's how I made money again like just solving my own problems I oh mean, man I wish you I wish you'd sold that to me when I was a kid I could have used that exactly you're probably one of those guys right you have a CD <laughs> burner and everybody come to your house and sit there for three or four hours trying to figure out build a mixtape for their girlfriend it's like come on. <laughs> <laughs> and just for just for like uh, so people know what like what year is this when this is all happening? Nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine. Okay, okay. Ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. All right. Are you and I about the same age? I'm I'm thirty three. Exactly the same age. Okay. Interesting. So uh, so you started doing that. You're, what was kind of the first big company you started? Well, at first, I mean, million in revenue, it'd probably be Sphere. And, I, and it took me a few failed attempts. You know, I was 18 when I started the vacation rental site. And, you know, I, I, I just didn't, I wasn't passionate about it. It was my, you know, I liked that I made money, but I didn't give a shit about people's cottages, right? So, yeah. um, you know, so I learned a little bit about that there. And then I did the hosting company because I was building websites for people. So I figured, why not do a hosting company? And I lost like 20 grand there because... Um, I actually was trying to be legit and buy all the hardware and servers and software. And I mean, oh, wow. and then, yeah. And I got a bank as a customer and they almost killed me. I mean, 24 seven support their e-commerce. It was just the dumbest never again. Um, wow. but, and I just kept like trying stuff. And then finally I got a job. It's the only job I ever got for 10 months and I quit and moved out West. I actually lived in Calgary, you know, for the Canadians out there listening. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know how much backstory, but the funny story about that was I decided to go September 9, 2001. I wanted to move out west. So I yeah. called my dad. Called my dad after I quit my job and was like, <laughs> he didn't know. I like sold everything I owned. I was like, dad, um, I know you're probably not going to be happy with this, but I actually quit my job. It was the, like the best company you worked for in the city. Yeah. So far not, I was making, I was making 60 grand a year at like 1920. Oh, um, wow. He was pumped. Yeah, it was awesome. He was excited. Yeah. And I called up and said, I quit my job and I'm moving out West. And he goes, that's the worst decision you've ever made. And the phone goes <laughs> silent. And I'm like, really? You know what I mean? Seriously, that's the worst decision. <laughs> Do you, uh, you know what I mean? Like, are yeah. we not the same people? Do you not remember what I've done? Like, yeah. I thought that was funny, but I, I ended up going anyways. But September 9th, I left in my Volkswagen Jetta and mountain bikes and a suitcase. And halfway across Canada, um, you know, September 11th happened. And anybody in the tech industry knows, like, every opportunity dried up, like, hmm. overnight. Hmm. It was done. 
Yeah. If I couch surf for three months, you know, beg, bar, and, you know, almost stealing just to try to survive because I didn't want to prove my dad right. And yeah. uh, after three months of hustling every day, trying to figure out how I could get any kind of work, I got a call from Syncrude in Fort McMurray, of all places, a big oil company in Tar Sands. And they said, uh, you know, we're looking for somebody that has experience. It just, I was lucky. The company that I worked at taught me some, they sent me on some training okay. that I was like one of three people in all of Canada that had. Huh. And they, yeah. So I mean, I'm 21 or 20 and they offered me a job as a contractor making 75 bucks an hour, all expenses paid. Wow. And I was like, and they, but they didn't know how old I was. So I show up the first day and the man, I remember the manager, everybody was like twice my, you know, the average age is like 30 something. I'm 21. <laughs> and I, I show up in like a plaid red shirt and khakis and a shaved head. Um, and, and the manager is like, uh, can we talk for a second? And he, pretty much said you got you got two weeks to prove to me you're not a complete you know re reject like yeah. you can actually do this I, I, I my job title was a uh, solution architect like I was I was the architect for the whole portal infrastructure that they had a 10 million dollar budget for wow. and uh, yeah I, I, I hit the ground I, I went old school I got a library card and I read about project management and Gantt charts and pro you know like budgeting and all this crazy project stuff that yeah. um, is pretty much like just in time. Like I, I, at night I would study for the next day's meeting. Yeah. And after he's like, Hey man, I'm really impressed. And uh, let's, let's keep going for another month. And I ended up staying for two years. Now tell me about this. Cause there's a lot of, you know, especially young people that sometimes they just want to start a company right away. Do you think there's a value in going out and, and working for a while and, it sounds like you learned a lot of skills while you were at that job. Um, yes, but I could have learned them on the job. I would have never done if, if, if I would, I wish I could go back and talk to myself. I mean, that's why I built clarity. I have built clarity for the 18 year old version of me that was trying to build a tech company that didn't have one friend in the industry. I mean, the best I had was my friend that had a sign company. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, you know, and the rest of them were like weekend, you know, partiers and barbecuing, like they didn't care about business. So had I had somebody that, that, you know, like myself that I could have talked to, they, I, I would have told that. And I have since that day, I've had people call me and like, Hey, I heard you lived in Fort McMurray. What do you think I should do? And I'm like, don't go. It's the <laughs> most ridiculous place in the world. Yeah. You have no social life. There's no women there if you're a single guy and the people there are just ridiculous because they all make a lot of money and they're not very bright. Yeah. I don't mean to overgeneralize, but everybody, anybody's been to Fort McMurray will tell you the same thing. So, um, <laughs> Was there value in me working there? Yes, but could I have done it another way? A hundred thousand percent. I wish I would have. I would have got a couple years head start. So you wish you'd started sooner? Friggin' right. I, I already started. My problem was is I started and then shit happened and I didn't keep going. Like I'd already been in the business and I thought I was going to go out there and maybe start another business or start something and there was nothing. There was like no opportunity. Nobody was buying. There was no customers. The market went to zero. It's like trying to sell a seven-finger glove. Yeah. Like nobody, nobody's going to buy that. So was it, was it after this job in Fort McMurray that you started Flowtown? Nope. Spheric. Spheric Technologies Spheric. I started. So yeah. So I, I did what I think every, you know, young person with a lot of, I saved all my money. I mean, I paid myself 40,000 a year because all my expenses were paid. So that was like my play money. And then I put everything else in a bank account. So I actually had like a lot of money. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I did what I think everybody should do. I went traveling for almost a year. I went to Australia. Um, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, 
and then it was when I came back. It was while I was there where I was getting calls from people, you know, recruiters saying, hey, we really need somebody with your experience. And I'm like, I was like 150 an hour. They're like, done. And I'm like, holy shit. If I had 10 people just like me, I could retire. Yeah. Turns out it's not as easy as that, but that was the <laughs> idea. So yeah. after Australia, that's when I started Spheric at 24. And day one, I took, you know, at the time what I had left over was just 70 grand. Um, and I, I started Spheric with three guys that I, I hired day one. Huh. And, and how did that go? Uh, I almost went bankrupt in six weeks because I didn't understand cash flow. Even though my dad was like, you really shouldn't grow too fast and you should sit down and do a plan. I was like, come on, dad. I was like, what do you know, man? I'm doing, I've got more money in my bank account than you probably do. Like, yeah, I was a little cocky. So that was, that was probably wrong. But, you know, the, the, it came down to the fact that, you know, we had a bunch of customers that I had lined up. I hired these guys and I didn't realize by the time we do the work, I pay for everybody's payroll, bought all their hardware and travel and flew them around and did work for customers, invoiced them, and then it got finally paid, which is like net 45 for big enterprise corporate, sometimes net 60. Mm -hmm. And then they would send a check to the office and I would go to the bank and the bank would freeze the check for 20 business days because it was a U.S. check. <laughs> I was like six months before I ever actually had the, and I had revenue. I mean, we were doing like 30,000 a month in revenue. Yeah. And I had no, I ran out of money. $70,000 cash isn't a lot of money when you've got a whole company. Go. <laughs> Especially if you have to float four people's salaries and hardware and travel. So like I learned a thing called factoring, which is you can actually sell your receivables for like 78%. You still are accountable hundred percent for them ever coming in, but you can get them. It's kind of like a payday loan for a business, right? Gotcha. You get the money now. Yeah. So, I mean, I was desperate. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but that's, but you know what, that it was that moment. And, and there's a longer story, but the short version was, it was that moment where I solved that problem that I realized that I don't need to know everything. I just need to find people that know about it and I could probably keep doing what I was doing, which my plan was to grow hundred and some percent every year. Cause I wanted to build a big company mm -hmm. and everybody told me I was, stupid and you're growing too fast and why do you care and I was just like you know why I care because anything less wouldn't be interesting hmm. and that's just me yeah so uh it was it was one of those moments where no, none of my employees knew I've never I've told the story but you know unless they've listened to the interviews they probably don't know but like I couldn't make payroll I was screwed I was like holy shit I just got these guys to quit their jobs they were employable one guy had two kids oh right? man like, yeah you know what I mean? you know how I was like my stomach was just twist I, I felt ill yeah. And, uh, but I got through it. They never knew the money came and they got paid and, and we built the company to multi-million dollar company. I bootstrapped it and got acquired. So, I mean, huh. it was, it was an awesome ride. And, and was the, like when you say you got acquired, did you, did you make some money off that deal? Cause that, you, you can never tell. Was that a good payout? So, so I, I was, I, I became a millionaire. I was 27 just from the revenues of the company. I mean, we gotcha. have certain employees, you can run the math. I mean, we were doing 40% net margins. Like I find personally, financially, like I've never been a money spender. I just reinvest. So I remember my accountant called me up You know, I was driving and he goes, uh, you know, we finished the year end for the third year and he goes, you know, Hey Dan, like, did you know that you actually have like one point some million in retained earnings in your bank account? I'm like, I was like, should we do something with that? Like, <laughs> yeah, we should talk. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't realize. I just didn't know. I didn't know that our first year we did 1.2 million. I didn't know that was good. I actually thought we were not doing as much as we could have been doing. Yeah. Your Did first you year you had 1.2 million in revenue? Exactly. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So, so you, you sold the company and why did you sell the company? Uh, it was a lot of stuff. I mean, I'd been doing it for four years. I was working a hundred hours a week. Um, there was, uh, you know, it was, I didn't plan on it. It was just, I remember one of our partners we were working with it that was like 20, 30% of our business kind of asked me if I wanted to do some kind of merger. And, you know, when you're, when you're a company, we won a bunch of awards and it's funny because like when you're, when you get awards or you get in the press, there's actually these, these guys that like email you and they're like, Hey, we were, we're like growth, growth equity. And, uh, or I have a client that'd be interested in talking about your business strategically. You fit. And I was just like, what is this crap? Like, I'm not a, I don't know anything about that stuff. And I would just mm-hmm. ignore it. But when that guy approached me and said, Hey, we're really interested in your business. You know, we think that together we can create something big and meaningful. That's when I started replying to those cold emails from those guys that were saying like, you know, we can help you with like growth equity. Cause I was like, okay, if there's something there, if he sees it, maybe I should explore it. And mm-hmm. that just quickly turned into conversation after conversation and, and, you know, finding three or four buyers that, you know, essentially created a um, competitive process that, that worked out pretty good. Are those guys that cold email you, are, are they all good guys? <laughs> like, no, they're not, but they are <laughs> like, here's what's funny is now it's the VCs, right? Like I'm in, I'm, I've been building, you know, venture back companies for, five years my flow town and now clarity and like the associates at every like you name it sequoia kleiner etc cetera, etc cetera. like that's what their job is the associates at those companies job is to cold email people that got on TechCrunch, that got on angelist like mm-hmm. that's what they do right i get them today right i probably get three or four a week um so the, the those those guys that emailed me back in the day, they were in a different industry and, and you know, cause we'd win like the, the profit top 50 under 50, they've yeah. cold emailed every company on that list. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. they're, they're, you know, it's like anything else, probably half are great and half are just, you know, not great, but not like they're, you know, a snake oil salesman. They're, you know, they are doing their job. They're just not very good at it. Yeah. But there are the ones that are great at it. So tell me about Flowtown. You were, you were doing consulting before, what was the genesis behind Flowtown? Why did you decide to build a product? Well, so Sphere ended up being a product company indirectly. So we started off as a service company, like every service company. We saw a need, we productized it, and that was, you know, half, I would not half, 20% of our revenue was from the product, 80% was from services. It was like a Trojan horse. So, so we, I ended up trying many products. They all failed because they were like not even related to my customers. I was just taking the money and trying stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure anybody building a service company can relate to. You always have this like product ambition. Yeah. Um, but that was the, after that company is when I realized like, you know what, screw this, you know, t- dinking, dink, like tickering, dinking, what is, how would I say it? Tinkering. tinkering around on the side. Yeah, tinkering on the side. <laughs> Let's just do it 100%. Mm-hmm. But before I do it, I want to learn. So that's why I moved to San Francisco. You know, where I think arguably if you want to be like an actor, you go to New York, or Hollywood. If you want to be in finance, you go to New York. Yeah. If you want to be a tech entrepreneur, you go to San Francisco. And I spent a year just studying, you know, marketing and product and all this stuff because enterprise software, today it's less uh, gap, but back in the day, enterprise software and, and consumer software are two different things. Yeah. And so you spent a year learning in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then how did how did the idea for Flowtown come come about? Uh, well, I mean, like every question, there's a long answer and a short answer. I'll give you the short one sure. for the sake of your audience. But I, I met a guy named Ethan, Ethan Block. He, he um, 
Ethan was doing a video podcast, and I liked him because I was thinking of doing something in video. Why? Because go into growth market, and video is it was a big growth market. Yeah. So I met this guy Ethan, and I was like, "Hey, man, let's hang out. I want to like learn how you do your shooting. How do you do you do all your editing, all this stuff? I want to learn about internet video." Um, and it was through that that we ended up becoming friends. And he gets fired from his company uh, because the 2008 crash happened. Yeah. And uh, he comes to me, he's like, "What should I work on?" I'm like, "I don't know." But what I did when I moved to San Francisco, it's probably a really good tip to anybody because um, I didn't figure this out for three weeks and then it changed my life when I did is I, uh, I, when I first moved there after three weeks, because I was like, this really sucks. I don't know anybody and nobody's responding to my emails. I was good at some things and I just threw it out there and said, hey, if anybody wants help with marketing, um, I'm not, not only can I help with marketing because I'm good at it, but I actually can write code and I can just query the database. So like there's no resources needed. I can come in for two weeks. And the greatest thing that happened to me was the economy crashing because it was at that point where every startup that had raised capital had to get really serious about understanding how they acquired their customers and how their landing page converted and their product market fit. And, um, and it was through those two-week engagements that I ended up meeting a lot of people, uh, not only the entrepreneurs, but also the investors because the entrepreneurs would you know, go to their investors and go, hey, we've really got this thing figured out. And they go, how did you do that? And they go, well, we've been this guy Dan's been hanging around for a couple of weeks and here's what he did. And they're like, Holy shit. Can you do it for one of my other companies? Um, so that's, that's the lesson I learned there was, you know, don't ask for anything, offer it and mm -hmm. be helpful. And, um, you know, try to figure out what the pain is. And, you know, I did that for a few months, but Ethan came to me and said, I got let go. What should I do? And I asked him, why'd you move to San Francisco? He said to start a company. And I said, to start a company. Yeah. He's like, well, I don't know what to work on. I said, well, until you figure that out, why don't you do the execution part of all this research and strategy stuff that I've been doing? Cause every company I do it for are kind of sad when I leave cause they need somebody to actually execute on it. Mm -hmm. He's like, cool. And it was like probably two months into doing that, that he goes, I think there's a product here because I had figured out how do you leverage your existing customers to grow the business? Right. Mm -hmm. And what Flowtown was, was, a social media product. So if you can think like, again, this is before Hootsuite and all these products. Um, it was kind of like my vision for it was MailChimp for social media. Like MailChimp was email marketing, social media marketing would need its own product like a MailChimp. And I still mm -hmm. don't think anybody really owns that. I think there's people that do good messaging, like publishing, people do good monitoring, but nobody's really said, here's a great small business tool, marketing tool that encompasses all things social. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the reason why I was so passionate about what was because my brother had two years prior started a home building company. Long story short, um, you can Google, I've told the story before, but he almost went bankrupt because he tried to not use real estate agents and go direct. And hmm. when he finally called me to tell me that things weren't working out, I sat down with him. I showed him how to use social media to essentially build an audience and a customer base. And he ended up selling 16 houses his first year, 32 the second year. And he's now one of the top fastest growing home builders in all of Canada. He <laughs> builds over hundred homes a year and he's, he's 32. Yeah. Sorry, he was 26. So I, I, I realized that there was a need because of my brother and I thought if I, if I could build a solution that could help other people like him, that would be really important. Yeah. And that's why I built Blowdown. Yeah. Interesting. And so, um, I was one of the first, I, I was an early user of Flowtown. I, I remember signing, I seeing it on TechCrunch and I signed up. I thought it was such a great idea. And then uh, I think one day I got an email saying like, or I shut heard, or, yeah, it got shut down. What, what happened? 
um, what happened was essentially we I had built this technology that allowed us to take an email address and find all the social uh, and demographic data about that person, right? Name, age, email, occupation, uh, on top of you know, what sites were they on, 50 different social networks, you know, what are some of the topics, categories that were associated with them. I mean, that was our, our, our unique product hook was give us an email and we'll show you all this information. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways we did that was, was using Facebook data. Now, we didn't do anything, you know, uh, black hat with it. Like we, so what happened was Facebook, it was right a year into it, Facebook got um, it was the New York Times with Financial Post did a whole expose about how uh, ad networks and games were using your Facebook data and reselling it to other ad networks. Mm. Right? They were essentially like these these viral games on Facebook would cookie you, tag all of your personal data and your friends and everything about you because you Facebook connected to it mm -hmm. these games, and then they would sell that data to uh, what's called um, retargeting companies or, or, or DSPs. This, uh, demand side platforms for ads, right? Like yeah. you'd be surprised what happens when you visit a website. Like they know yeah. a lot about you. And and Facebook in response to that, you know, article changed their terms of service that pretty much said you, if you use Facebook Connect or any Facebook, you can use it to enhance your product, but you can't allow the the data to leave your system. Mm -hmm. Right? And what we were doing was allowing people to upload email addresses from MailChimp, iContact, Constant Contact, you name it we supported it and add the data to those email systems. So you came through Flowtown, but then you could apply it to your email list and MailChimp. And that's what essentially shut us down. We couldn't do that anymore. We could use it inside of Flowtown, but what's the, what's the use? Like what's good is it if you can't do anything? Like I yeah. can totally tell you who these people are, but you need to do stuff with it. And essentially uh, we realized the business was not going to be, we couldn't do what we were doing, so we had to essentially go back to the whiteboard and start from scratch all over again. And that's part one with Dan Martell. He's back next week to talk about the practical steps involved in launching Clarity. He's actually going to use that as a model for how we can build and launch our own products. You can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Martell. You can follow me, Justin, on Twitter at MIJustin, and you can follow the show on Twitter as well at ProductPeopleTV. If you like the show, please give us a review in iTunes. It's as easy as clicking five stars. Join us next week for part two with Dan Martell. See you then. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.